Welcome to Politics in Question, a podcast about how our political institutions are broken and ideas for fixing them. My name is James Walner, and I'm a senior fellow at the R Street Institute and a lecturer in the Department of Political Science at Clemson University. I'm Julia Azari. I'm a professor of political science at Marquette University. This week, we're talking to Rachel Lears, the New York-based filmmaker behind Jubilee Films and the award-winning Knock Down the House, a Netflix documentary about four women running for Congress, including AOC. And we're going to be talking to her about the role that films, that art, that storytelling, the, the role that that plays in our politics. In Rachel's latest film, we'll be talking about that as well, is called To The End. And it's a film about the impact uh, that women have on the on our politics and in stopping the climate crisis. And so, Rachel, welcome to Politics in Question. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, I'm, I'm a big fan of your of your work. I, I use your films. I talk about your films a lot. I When I teach classes on politics, I, I reference them. Uh, I talk about them when I argue with people about politics, when I talk to members of Congress about politics and how it ought to operate, because I think they're a great distillation on how you change the status quo in politics. And that may seem strange because I'm I'm, I'm a conservative and I think the, the subject matter of your films isn't something that most people would typically align with kind of a conservative leaning uh, a thinker. But aside from you know being well made and what really resonates with me about your films is the personal side of politics. And it makes that side of politics more accessible to your viewers. And what I find really intriguing is that your subjects, they're both humbling and they're all inspiring at the same time. You know, Knock Down the House and To the End both highlight the contradictions between how we think about our politics presently and the reality of politics. And I think both films underscore the radical possibility in political action. And that has nothing to do with progressive or conservative views. It just ultimately what makes democratic self-government so extraordinary is that radical possibility when people come together and want to change the world. And your films shine a light on how we negotiate the non-negotiable in our politics. And so I just want to start off by saying, you know, what or who do I have to thank for all of this? Like, how did you get into this work? What inspired you to begin? How did you start making political documentaries? And why do you keep making political documentaries? Well, first of all, thanks so much for that intro. I mean, I I really appreciate that you understand uh, what we're trying to do here. Um, and the process of making what's politically impossible possible has really been driving my last few films. And so I, I just really appreciate that, that you're seeing that. So... Before I got into making political documentaries per se, I was drawn to the art form actually a little bit later than most people who make films. I, I didn't get into it until my mid-20s. Um, I had a background in music and photography and also in I was in a graduate program for uh, cultural anthropology at the time. And so documentary as an art form really appealed to me in the in a way that it's going to engage with both audio, visual, um, processes and, and textures, but that it's really going to make it possible to engage with politics and people and the world. So I had this academic background. I actually completed a PhD in anthropology, but I, I had my eye on building a career in film most of the way through that. And so I, I what I'm really trying to do is to work on multiple levels with works that are going to have an emotional arc that can reach people, but 
but also these different layers into the politics and, and social critique and all of that stuff. So what inspired me to do this? I mean, I, I was already making films when Occupy Wall Street happened in 2011, right at the moment I was finishing my dissertation and kind of looking for next steps. And I got really drawn into it and ended up working in the media group there uh, with my then boyfriend, now husband, Robin Blotnick, who's a, a major collaborator on Knock Down the House and To the End and our previous film, Hamnet Feeds. And so I think I became a lot more engaged with contemporary U.S. politics at that time. I'd had sort of a, a background in, in being politically interested. My parents were part of the anti-war movement in the 1960s. My dad was a conscientious objector in Vietnam and uh, is, is now a history professor so uh, of U.S. history. So I grew up kind of steeped in a sense of politics matters and, um, you know, just it's important to keep up with it and to understand it and to have have views about things and to engage with the democratic process. But I hadn't really engaged with movements on the ground, social movements until uh, Occupy Wall Street. And really that was what sort of set me on the path of, of making my, my three feature films, um, which have all been about people really coming into a sense of their power through collective action and just what it takes to to make change from a level of in the in the case of the first film uh, you know, workers struggle at a small cafe um, and then with knock down the house on, on the electoral level and into the end we're really looking at okay once you win an election then what how does a movement really achieve change on a larger scale once they're they have a, a few feet inside the doors of the halls of power so um so i really do this you know I'm, I'm inspired by my experience working in movements and all the incredible people that i've met along the way but in 2016 i also had a kid and and that really just lit a different fire in me i think it felt like just this realization that i don't have the luxury of cynicism. If, if I ever had it before, I don't now. I have to believe that a better world is possible. I have to believe that, uh, you know, the changes that I want to see are possible. And, you know, how do I make work that's going to help people believe that structural change is possible and understand the mechanisms uh, that exist in a democracy for making that happen? So that's really what what's motivating me right now. Yeah, I want to start with a big picture question, which was, you know, I was thinking about, I watched Knock Down the House. I really enjoyed it. Um, I will, would love to use this in, in class. And I think it really gets at some really critical themes about the relationship between kind of democracy and institutional power. But also it was by this point, it's a story about 2018, AOC, and three other women running in primary races, right? Paula Jean Swearingen in West Virginia. We've got uh, Cori Bush in Missouri, and then Amy Villela in Nevada. And so the story, the general story is fairly familiar to me right now. And, and yet I found the documentary really fresh. And so I'm sort of asking, uh, asking you to tell me what I saw. What is it about showing visuals and telling the story visually and also telling the story the way that you tell it with family and friends and a lot, you feature a lot of campaign workers and the way that they speak to each other and to the candidate and showing in some ways the place 
that each of these people is running in is an additional character in the story. How does that give us a different perspective on politics than we would get, you know, reading those same stories in the New York Times or the Washington Post? Yeah, um, I'm glad that that's how it played for you. And, you know, what we're really trying to do stylistically is to make documentaries that feel a bit like fiction film in the sense that you are, you get to know a handful of people and you go on this journey with them. So there's that, that verite, that cinema verite feel of you're watching actual people go through actual events as they happen. Now, of course, not every minute in the film is that style. You know, we also do interviews and, um, you know, put that together with visuals and, um, I love that the places felt like characters to you. We certainly thought of it that way. So there's a lot of sort of montage that happens in and collage that happens in, in putting that all together. And we do also move the chronology around some in the in the way that it's all put together. You know, I, I think of these films as sort of a hybrid between journalism and cinema. Right. So we are very we have very strict journalistic protocols of fact checking and, you know, everything is a very strict sense of editorial integrity where it comes to the, the research involved and, and the, the information that we're putting out there. But at the same time, there's the flexibility that you have in an art form as documentary is an art form to tell things in a way that's going to engage audiences at an emotional level. So I think, you know, it's it's not just the visuals. There's uh, Visuals are, are part of it. Uh, it's also soundscape and music. Um, it's also the way those are put together. So when we put the voiceover of an interview without showing the talking head, but just while you see the person in their everyday life doing something visually, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez working in a bar before she, uh, before she won her campaign, you know, and you hear her voiceover, that starts to feel like the thoughts in her head, right? That's the cinematic kind of technique of using voiceover with a character-based film. And so all of this kind of put together creates the possibility for audiences to feel empathy and to really be taken along this journey with the characters in a, a way that feels very immediate. You know, that I would say the the audiovisual composition of a film in having like all these different layers of visuals and movement and music and sound effects and soundscapes and dialogue and all, all of that, uh, you know, that really creates a sense of, I mean, I want to say a sense of reality, but that's obviously what we're trying to create with documentary film, but it's not a story that's being told uh, so much as a story that you're going through. Um, at least that's what we're we're trying to do with, with the film and, and with the character-based style and the kind of narrative drive that, that we're trying to cultivate. Well, and Julia, I really like that question and, and Rachel, your, your thoughts on that because we understand ourselves, our own experience through, you know, kind of storytelling and, and we understand it at an individual kind of protagonist type level. We don't understand it as, you know, broad societal forces that are exogenous to us or somehow forcing us to do certain things or polarization or somehow we have this, you know, the, the invisible hand or whatever it may be. That's not the way I think most people uh, kind of live their lives. And so when you 
but that's the way we think about politics increasingly these days, both in the academy and in the, the media and in our discourse. And so I think this is a welcome kind of refreshing change and a reminder that no, politics is about people, right? It's about people coming together and acting and doing things and trying to achieve their goals and reacting to one another and bargaining and negotiating. And the conflict that arises between those people isn't a negative thing. It's actually something that you have to have. It's, it's, you can't have compromise without conflict. You can't change the status quo for better or worse without conflict. Conflict is something that's vital. It's the secret sauce of our, our political system. And what also I think is so extraordinary about your films is that it they really articulate and underscore the importance of, of just talent, of like raw talent. Your protagonists, the people you highlight in both Knock Down the House and To the End, they're really good. They're really good at their jobs. They're really good at being candidates or they're really good at being kind of group leaders and trying to change from the outside in. Um, but they also, what, I, what I'm curious about is, you know, they're all, they're women. And it watching your films, it reminds me of the kind of the struggle, the long struggle for uh, women's suffrage. You know, we started, doesn't start in 1848, but let's just say with Seneca Falls, the Declaration of Sentiments, that's when it generally kind of begins, all the way through to the 19th Amendment's ratification in 1920. That is a long struggle. That is a long time. Uh, if we think about the civil rights movement and Montgomery's bus boycott and Rosa Parks and Dr. King, that doesn't happen overnight. That's a, over a year. These struggles take a long time. And what you show us here is people with raw talent, but the toll it takes on them, the effort it's required to win. And I, I'm just curious, what is it about these women that situates them uh, or positions them to succeed or to to be good? Why did you, how did you come to identify them? What, uh, you know, what kind of qualities do they have? I mean, they remind me of people like Alice Paul, who was, you know, I'm sorry, she was a badass. And she is, you know, one of the many, many leaders that the suffrage movement had over several generations that is responsible for ultimately getting that, uh, the 19th Amendment across the finish line. So what can we learn from these women is what qualities, for instance, that men like me, what can we learn from them and what can we kind of replicate in our own struggles to uh, to make to recreate the world in, in however, whichever way we want to recreate it in the years to come? Well, first of all, I, I love what you said about about politics and just the, the need to accept that there's conflict involved. I mean, I, I find myself often you know, working on on the issue of climate change, people will often say like, well, why does it have to be political? It shouldn't be political. But politics is just the process of people negotiating power in society, uh, you know, and... Right. The only other way to do it is to have a ruler. And last time I checked, we don't have rulers yeah, in America. Yeah, last time I checked, nobody wanted that here either. So let's just engage with politics. What's the problem? So, and and people, every every change that has happened in history, people make it happen. I mean, you mentioned um, the, the, the women's suffrage movement and Alice Paul, like um, movements shift the boundaries of what's politically possible and people make history. Um, but sometimes I think it can be really opaque how an individual changes history if you're not one of those you know we know about the big names we know about the leaders but what we really wanted to explore particularly with to the end is 
you know, how, if you look at something just huge, like the climate crisis, how does an individual really become part of changing history or changing the paradigm of how, how politics is going to work? And the answer is by becoming part of a collective. And so uh, even though, you know, we go through a sort of casting process and it wasn't exactly the same for each film, but, but in both cases, you know, I you know, certainly spend time thinking about who is going to work in a film on camera as a character, you know, um, it, it's a very strange thing in documentary turning real people into characters, but they are protagonists, as you, as you say, you know, and so how is their protagonism going to work? They need to be able to express themselves about what they're doing and why they're doing it. They have to be able to, in a lot of ways, externalize emotions, you know, so that, so that you can hear and, and see in, in that vulnerability in the story and they really need to be someone that is compelling to watch win or lose because these political stories, whether it's elections or legislation or just pushing the envelope, like there is winning and losing involved. And so, um, you know, I'm really looking for what what's going to work in a film, no matter what the outcome is. So, so that's it's hard to you know say exactly what it is. I, I think there's a tremendous amount of courage that all of these folks have everyone has their own personal, everyone that we follow has their own personal motivations for um, getting involved in the work that they do. And they are, as you say, very good at their jobs, uh, whether it's, even if it's just being a candidate. Um, so I think though, it, it's it's been such an interesting process because I didn't actually set out to focus on women with either of these projects. I think in, in both cases, in the case of Knock Down the House, I was interested in the project of recruiting so-called extraordinary, ordinary people to run for Congress, which is what the the organizers who recruited them were, were thinking of them as extraordinary, ordinary people. And I, I was very interested in what that was going to look like and, and all of these regular people who are going to be refusing corporate donations and running in this unified slate and supporting each other through that process. And um, what's that personal trajectory going to look like? So I interviewed maybe 25 people, including men, and decided to focus on these four, partly for all the qualities I mentioned earlier about just what's going to work on, on screen, but also because there's sort of a whole that's greater than the sum of the parts uh, that comes with how each one represents a certain geography or issue area that she focuses on. And I mean, I'm, I won't say it's a coincidence that they're all women, because I'm, I'm obviously interested in in that. And I consider myself a feminist filmmaker. And as a woman, I relate to them as, as women, and I, all of that is relevant. But um, But it wasn't like, let me see what women running for Congress I can find. That was not the origin of the project. And then in the case of To the End, it started with the conversations with Ocasio-Cortez about what she was going to be focusing on in office. And she wanted to focus on climate issues and was working in this coordinated way with several groups outside of government. And the other leaders that we show in the film really just emerged from that, that coordinated movement strategy as, as the people that I wanted to focus on. So I, I think, you know, what I think viewers can learn from from these people my interest in in representing women and women from you know diverse backgrounds in these roles as leaders in politics is is sort of two things on the one hand it's like you can't be what you can't see so i i want 
um, women and girls to see themselves reflected on screen in these ways, you know, including really serious representation for women of color. And on the other hand, I think it's really powerful. You know, I grew up at a time where I was always identifying with male characters because there just weren't as many <laughs> interesting female characters in books or movies to identify with. And so I think the creating, telling the stories of underrepresented groups with, with protagonists from underrepresented groups has a value in that sense. But there's also something really powerful that comes from telling stories that generate empathy and that generate that sort of, you know, just investment in the narrative and in the character for members of a dominant group or, or from people who are just of a different background uh, than, than the protagonist. So I think that that's something that uh, is really um, important to me as well. And I've, I've heard from audience members, you know, who are male or who are not women that they, uh, you know, do identify with these folks a lot. And that um, is, is really important to me. And I, I think, I think they would all say that they're ordinary people, that they are not extraordinary and that anyone can do it. Um, and, you know, Maybe not anyone can do it, but lots and lots of people can do what and are doing what what these people are doing. We are highlighting the folks that we found, and they're they're amazing. But there's so many amazing people out there <laughs> doing amazing things. I think I mean, that's what keeps us busy as doc filmmakers. But um, you know, I, I think that's a really important piece of it as well. Is that you you can come from humble background, you can be a regular person and decide you want to change the world in these ways and uh and and work at it and actually be part of it. So I wanted to get into what I saw sort of like the the story arc between watching Knock Down the House and uh, Unto the End, which obviously you probably made um, with some time in between, but I watched them kind of back to back. And to me, they kind of told the story of the trajectory of the left over the last couple of years. And I know that we have some emphasis on kind of the, the politics and the relationship between kind of insider and outsider politics. But one of the things that, that really jumped out at me in the beginning of Knock Down the House is when Ocasio-Cortez is talking and something she says, I, I forget who she's talking to, but something she says is the American people are not asking for a lot. They're just asking to get by. And that, that actually really struck me. I don't know if everyone else would see that as the really kind of throwaway line of just like a thing that politicians say but it actually really really struck me you know there's this this meme that goes around occasionally about americans and it's a piece of writing that's from someone from another country is basically saying americans you know accept that their tax dollars just go somewhere and they don't get anything back they don't know their own history and you know it's not a particularly flattering portrait of americans but one of the points that it tries to make is americans are not asking for a lot and that we kind of don't ask a lot from our government. And so I have kind of a two-part question. I think this is like a comment that morphed into a two-part question. So welcome to academia. Um, so on the one hand, I'm curious about your reflections on that. But then on the other hand, I also see kind of like an evolution over time. So AOC starts out in 2018 and the left in the United States is pretty downtrodden from the 2016 election. And then she moves, or excuse me, the films move AOC and her various cohorts um, and activists and the whole country move into 2021. 
Um, and we're in a very different situation where there's not only have, you know, the, the Democrats have regained control and that usual ebb and flow of party change in politics, but the left and the Democratic Party over the course of the 2018 and 2020 elections has actually gained quite a bit of steam. And I'm curious whether as as we kind of start thinking about a story where she says Americans really aren't asking a lot, we're really just asking for, you know, kind of living wage situation to a situation in which you have activists that are really pushing their own party. I'm curious whether that tells the kind of story or what your reaction is to that. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that that you see the films that way. That's definitely been been something that um, that we've been thinking about. And it's been, you know, so we started making Knock on the House in the fall of, of 2016 and to the end goes all the way through the summer of 22. And then right before that, we were working on a, this film that came out of Occupy Wall Street with uh, fast food workers, you know, doing a, a labor campaign. And so so we've definitely been been following that trajectory on, on a broad level through these human stories. And I think we've always been really interested in the intersection of representation and civil rights with economic justice and money in politics. So, you know, when she says that Americans just want to get by, I mean, that is, that's just so basic. And I think that hasn't changed. I think to, to the, a lot has changed, but that basic thing of like, we still have to pay for health insurance. Like there's still all this basic stuff that um, other rich countries provide for their uh, publics that 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 we don't you know we've in so many ways lost a sense of the common good in this country um and and that is fundamentally connected to money in politics and what the you know why are are there disconnects between what uh, the types of policies that large segments of the population on both sides of, of the aisle in terms of political affiliation what want with what you see the representatives going for in Congress. And it has so much to do, um, you know, with not just with, you know, on the one hand with, with campaign contributions and all of that, but also, and, and with lobbying, but also with, with who it has, who holds these positions, the fact that it takes so much money to run for office. And um, it's primarily people from wealthy backgrounds that, that even do it in the first place. So, so that's always all of that is the first thing that kind of comes to mind when I hear you talk about the uh, that comment. And I'm sorry if I'm forgetting the second part of the question. Um, I think there was a second part. <laughs> Could you jog my memory? <laughs> no, it didn't gel into a question. So like I said, this is probably giving you flashbacks from, from your years in academia of the comment that's not really a question. But I guess it was about whether whether that had changed in the way oh, that has changed. Yeah, the, the way the left is kind of making some more expansive demands in 2021. Yes, absolutely. So uh, and and that's so much what we wanted to follow into the end, which did start in 2018. Um, so it, the, it, the films were really not just back to back, but overlapping in the in the production process. So, you know, it started it, it by the time 2018, that election happened, there was this, you know, I think, real sense with the enthusiasm Ocasio-Cortez had shot to fame and there was this uh, you know phenomenon around her and the squad and there was this real sense that the and of course the Green New Deal which we were following and, and making this film about kind of shot into prominence and you know so many of the presidential candidates in the Democratic Party endorsed some version of it 
you know, there's just been so many ups and downs that we followed through that. But fundamentally, the change of power in the administration in from 2020 to 2021, you know, creates this possibility where, okay, we've been in the opposition. Now we have power, supposedly all, you know, presidency and both houses of Congress. Obviously, it's a 50-50 split in the Senate. So that's not as much power as I think a lot of people did when they said what, what a lot of people thought when you would hear Democrats control all of those branches. But I, I think what are those ideas going to translate to in material reality becomes the question. And how do you confront that machinery of money and politics and lobbying at the level of a particular issue in the case of, of climate change? You know, we're talking about the fossil fuel industry. So that was fundamentally the, the question we wanted to explore. Like how changing the conversation is one thing. And there's a lot of credit due when that when a movement manages to change the conversation. But when push comes to shove about actually passing legislation that's going to begin to change our energy system and the distribution of power and resources, um, what actually happens? So I think that's the very messy process that we get into with to the end. And, and what, what's been interesting, I think, is to see that winning becomes so much less black and white than it is with elections. You know, an election, you either win or lose. And with legislation, there's so much that can happen that, you know, things get changed and either it passes or it doesn't. But what gets changed, even if it passes, so much has changed in the process. Um, and I think there's there's a lot there to explore in terms of how movements really set the stage for these more quote unquote pragmatic solutions by putting these big ideas out there, which change the conversation. And then through the nuts and bolts of the political process, including the progressive bloc in Congress and the outside pressure and just everybody working together in that coordinated way, that's how you actually push the government to take uh, action on an issue that has just avoided that for for so long. So it's, you know, this was the what we followed was the process and the groundwork that made it possible for the Inflation Reduction Act of 22, the um, largest climate legislation in U.S. history and even in world history um, to pass. And I think what we want people to get from to the end is like without all of that movement work along the way, um, that type of legislation is not possible. And the only thing that's going to make it possible is more people engaging with the democratic process at all levels. That it really sums up, I think, how I, not how I think, how I think about uh, politics and changing the status quo, right? If we think about the status quo as powerful, because after all, it's the status quo, it won the last debate. So of course, it's going to be hard to change. And you're not going to be able to change it from the inside only, right? You're not going to be able to uh, change it because the people who are in control of the committees, the lobbyists who are uh, supporting a lot of the candidates and incumbents who are running for office, the party structure, everything about the status quo is resistant to that change. And the only way to really overcome it is to is to play this outside inside game that you've alluded to. I want to ask you a little bit more about that, right? 
So if we think about the different ways that individuals, because after all, that's all we have at the end of the day, we are just individuals, but individuals change the world. Individuals uh, change politics. We govern ourselves here, but you can't do it on your own, right? I mean, we could look at the Kochs and or the Koch brother now and ask him. I mean, no matter how much money you have in the world, it's not enough. You need other people. You need groups. And there are different ways that you can go about influencing what government does. You can uh, participate, uh, you can join a party, you can run for office, and then you can try to win office, and then you can try to change policy from the inside. Or for a lot of people, that's not an option or is not something they're interested in doing. Um, you can also try to, you can participate in groups and social movements and try to change policy by educating people on the inside, by helping them win office and by doing other things. And it really takes that coordinated inside outside uh, dynamic to ultimately move the needle but it's not just about messaging it's not just about you know beating your chest it's also about kind of you have to have an inside game you have to be good at it and what i find really intriguing is that the people who are typically good at the outside game either members of congress or uh, social movement leaders aren't always that great at the skills that you need on the inside and then vice versa. And I was wondering, what is it about these women? Because to the end, you have these four talented and very driven women, and they're changing politics from the outside, right? They're not necessarily running for office and trying to win, but they're working with people on the inside. Knock down the house, you follow uh, four women running for, for office and AOC, and she wins. And she's now trying to change politics from the inside, working with people on the outside. But what how do you think about that skill set, that inter interaction between the two and what skills are necessary for someone to succeed on the inside in negotiating and bargaining with people like Joe Manchin and Chip Roy and Ted Cruz and Chuck Schumer, and but simultaneously being able to work with and understand the kind of advocacy activist base of, say, a movement uh, like the one to, to kind of address the climate crisis? Yeah, I think that's a really tricky line to walk. And, you know, all of the protagonists of To the End actually get a lot of flack from left, right and center, you know, for they they have big ideals, but they make compromises and they work within the systems and, you know, engage with the institutions. Um, I think, you know, uh, Varshini Prakash, the executive director of the Sunrise Movement, um, she mentions in the film that um, what she sees a lot of times in progressive groups is people who don't want to engage with politics because it's too icky or it's it's too corrupt. Um, it, and then, you know, the flip side of that is uh, Ocasio-Cortez saying, you know, I feel like my job is to get my hands dirty so community activists don't have to. At the same time, I think what they're both doing is engaging in this inside-outside strategy where it's it matters that there are people on the outside pushing and people on the inside creating um, a coordinated block who are going to say, they're all going to say the same thing, no climate, no deal. We need to have massive, you know, major climate legislation this year or this cycle. So, um, you know, I think that everyone that we follow in into the end gets criticized by people who think that they're making too many compromises um and it's it's a really tough uh place for movements um 
there's actually a, a, a theorist of movements named um, Bill Moyer, I believe, who uh, writes about the stages of movements. And there's a, I forget the numbers, but but there's a state, the stage at which you are, your ideas are starting to gain traction and you're actually starting to really influence the public and influence policy is the same, at that same time, it feels a lot of people in the movement are, are getting really burned out and really uh, disappointed that they're not achieving more of their goals completely. That sort of energy of the early stages of the, the movement kind of getting attention and blowing up and getting, uh, you know, getting people engaged with the issue like that, those heady days have passed and it's a more of a grind like though it feels like winning and losing at the same time so that's that really um really tricky and ambiguous position that i think all of, of the folks we followed found themselves in when um when climate legislation finally passed i mean all the way through the process of having to go through the negotiations and of course, for a long time, it looked like nothing was going to pass. So that changes your perspective on on what what you're willing to uh, consider a victory. So so we're framing the IRA passage in the film as as a major victory, which is of course you know doesn't solve the problem completely. There's much work left to do, but I I think that is is a lot the the very ambiguous uh, and um, sort of multivalent nature of it is very much one of the things that I want people to come away with from the film because that is so much that uncertainty is is something that a lot of people have trouble with I think people resort to cynicism or disengagement from politics because they're not sure they're going to win or they're afraid of hoping that something will work out and having it not work out because it sucks when that happens. Like it doesn't feel good. But I think the the vision of hope that the people we're following really maintain is more of a discipline. It's more like hope is, is just showing up every day and doing it. And through that, you know, that's the work. And through that, it's not like you never take a step back and, and think about your strategy. Of course you do. But at the same time, you're not constantly asking yourself, "Am I? Are we going to win? Can we win?" Um, you know, those questions are really—they can be derailing. You have to believe that it's possible, and then do the work and look at the histories of uh, movements that have succeeded in the past to know that it—that it is possible. And lo and behold, it's still possible. It's still happening today. You know, this is certainly not the only story of a movement, you know, pushing the the envelope and 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 passing major legislation. So. We're really hoping that uh, that these films can in, inspire people to believe that it's worth being part of that process, the democratic process, at whatever level, at whatever level they're at. You know, what, as you as you mentioned, you know, some people want to run for office. That's great. Some people feel like have the, the good sense to know <laughs> that, that they don't want to do that. Um, so they can engage, you know, and, and this isn't just at the federal level. There's so much to do, um, no matter what issue you care about, certainly in the issue of climate, everywhere from the local uh, and, and the state level up to the federal and international level. So I think really putting forward a, a credible vision of hope in, in this sort of time when so many people are feeling anxiety and despair and cynicism 
um, about the climate crisis, as well as I think a lot of people feel that about the democratic process, just when they're not engaged with it, we really hope that that these films can can help people see that it is worth it, it's worth trying. Well, I'm so glad that you could join us and for this. So thank you for that. I mean, that's you just describe politics right there. It's uncertain. It's a process that's never ending. You have to show up. It's not it's not we're not building widgets here. This is it's an activity in which we participate. You can't control the outcome. If you could, then you'd be a ruler and this wouldn't be self-government, right? We wouldn't be free. And that really is a very scary thing, as you say. But ultimately, there's a certain amount of kind of uh, happiness, like public happiness that comes out of that uh, participating and, and sticking it out and slogging your way through something. And in the end, I tell people it's worse than baseball, right? For your baseball fans out there, it's this, you know, you win very little of what you set out to get in, in politics, but that's the whole, that's kind of the, the process. Uh, nobody wins everything, but if you don't try at all, then you're, then nothing ever changes. And I don't think that there are many people on the left or the right, Democrat, Republican, anybody in between who seems to be particularly happy with the current state of things. And so I think to the extent that your films can help motivate people, regardless of what they believe, to get out there and to try to apply the lessons that they've seen on the screen to their own lives, I think is a very, very good thing. And so I thank you for that. We're going to have uh, links to your films, the show notes, and our show notes, Jubilee Films as well. But, you know, I'm going to give you the last word, Rachel, like we always do. Uh, you know, but thanks again for for joining us and just, you know, tell us anything else you want to tell us before we uh, we close out here. Well, thank you so much, James and Julia, for the conversation. And, um, you know, I really, I really enjoyed it and appreciate your work and appreciate your, your podcast sort of bringing these ideas into the space where they're accessible to people who maybe aren't in your classes. Um, so yeah, I mean, I hope people will, will check out both the films, Knock Down the Houses on Netflix and um, to the end is, is coming out on all the TVOD platforms in early February. So um, you can look for it after, I believe the date is February 7th. Um, you can come go to our, our website to the end film.com for um, all the information and updates on that. You can also host a screening in your community. You can use it in your classroom. Um, it's going to be streaming later uh, later this year, but uh, you can access it now for all of those things. So um, we're, we're to the end film on all the social platforms as well. So follow us and uh, feel free to get in touch through the website uh, if you're interested. We do hope the film can be useful for promoting these conversations. Thank you so much. Well, check it out, folks. It's a great film. And uh, thanks for joining us, Rachel. Uh, this has been another episode of Politics in Question. Thank you for listening to Politics in Question. This podcast is a partnership between New America and the R Street Institute. Our producer is Elizabeth Lucero, and our audio engineer is Shannon Lynch. The theme music is composed and performed by yours truly. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group.